Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance, and this week we've got something a little bit different for you. A couple weeks ago, Cameron was the guest on Level Up Radio, hosted by Spencer Dennis, who is founder of CoachNow, which is the online platform that we use for a lot of our remote coaching here at Altus. It's a service that's pretty integral to our operation. And because it's a fairly common request that we get in emails or direct messages that instead of just interviewing others, other players and coaches, that we kind of take our turn at being interviewed and share more of the story of ourselves and of, of Altus. And we thought it would be a good idea to co-op that conversation from Level Up Radio and share it with you here as an Earn Your Edge episode. So we're flattered that there seems to be some interest in what we do at Altus, and we are often highlighting the work and philosophies of other world-class coaches. So it makes sense to share some of what we do and specifically what Cameron does, his story, not only as a coach, but also as an entrepreneur in building Altus. And Spencer is a great interviewer. So if you like this episode, especially if you're a coach, I encourage you to check out other episodes of Level Up Radio. But First, please enjoy Cameron's turn at being the interviewee on episode 50 of the Earn Your Edge podcast. All right, Cam, thanks so much for joining today. Appreciate you taking the time, man. Absolutely. My pleasure. So we've had an opportunity to talk a lot. We've spent a lot of time together, which I feel very uh, fortunate about. And you've been working with Coach now for quite some time using the platform, but as well as just being an advisor and a mentor to us. But for those listening that don't know you, because we do have a larger audience outside of golf that may not be familiar with you, it'd be great just to get your just quick background from the world of private coaching to where you are now in the sense like from being an independent all the way to like building the team. So just a, a very quick thing, and then we'll dive into the specific questions too. Yeah, golf coach since uh, the year 2000. Before that, a former player, player professionally, player collegiately, became a golf coach as many would working in a golf shop. So logging time behind the counter, taking tea times, selling merchandise. And then in the available time in the afternoons, and the mornings, I would be teaching the hourly lessons to recreational clients. Well, uh, fast forward three years from that experience, I then got a job as a director of instruction, which is essentially shifting into a full-time coaching role where the entirety of my available calendar, whether I wanted to work 20 hours a week or 80 hours a week, was associated with instruction and coaching. Then uh, 13 years after that, so now we're 16 years into my coaching career, and now I'm owner, uh, CEO of Altus Performance, a, a coaching academy, a collective of like-minded coaches working at uh, two different facilities here in Dallas, Texas, Trinity Forest Golf Club and Old American Golf Club, with also a licensed facility at a PGA Golf de Vaudray, which is in Normandy, about an hour and 15 minutes northwest of Paris. And that's the European headquarters. And it's uh, run by a fantastic professional over there named Guillaume Bijot. Right on. So tell me a little bit more about your clientele, right? So who, who are you focusing on? And I guess, who are you directly focusing on? And then who would the larger business be focusing on? And I'm sure they're likely the same, but maybe there's some separation there. Yeah, there's, there's massive overlap in terms of who I am concentrating on and focused on providing time and intellect uh, knowledge to daily. And that's the tip of the spear. Those at or aspiring to the highest levels of performance, whether that be a nine to 12 year old a boy or a girl who sits in front and says, I want to be great. I want to play in high school, college or beyond or mm -hmm. it's players that are already uh, high up on that competitive ladder. They're playing professional golf or are playing high-level uh, amateur golf across their country or, or the world. 
And they also have that same goal orientation. They just want to get better. So goal-oriented individuals who have aspirations to perform at a higher level and have the time and resources necessary to get there. Right on, right on. So that's the quick and dirty kind of background of, of what you're up to, who you're working with. But I want to definitely get into the more of the details because I think the thing that we find at Coach Now that's unifying all different industries, uh, all different sports is the business of coaching and training. There are often are parallels between uh, different verticals on, well, obviously there is around the science of learning and skill, skill acquisition and things like that. But there's a lot of unique applications in each and every sport that don't necessarily translate. But the business definitely does. And this is something we're finding more and more and why we wanted to dive in deeper with you since you've really done a great job, especially since I've known you, you've you've really ramped up the level of your business and the scope of your business. I mean, you're, you went from doing more individualized coaching to now having your academies, as you mentioned, but also you're kind of a prodigious content creator now as well, not only through your own brand, but through the golf channel, Revolution Golf, Golf Digest, and other partners that you're that you're working with. So let, let's maybe talk about the challenges from the business owner perspective when you were doing it all on your own, right? So some of the immediate challenges that you ran into as an individual coach that maybe you don't have now, but just some of the the key learnings that you had when you were first coaching some of those some of those early business challenges. The fall into two categories. There's early business challenges, sorry, fall into two categories. The uh, first is reach, and then the second would be uh, multiple ball juggling. So how many can you carry or juggle in the air at any one particular time? So when you're an owner-operator, an individual, you are not only driving the train, but you're also shoveling the coal, and you're also you're laying the track, hopefully moving in a, a progressive direction, developing business, developing more clients. So... If we expand on that, it would be the challenge of not only hunting, but also farming. Hunting hunting would be the development of business. And then the farming is, are you doing enough providing the value to the existing clients such that they see the the, the value proposition and continue to, to return? The reach is, I guess, an overarching desire to want to do more for more people, knowing that you have wisdom that you can transfer in front of one individual in the scope of 30 minutes to two hours of coaching. It's nice when you can broadcast that and reach more than eight people in one day or more than 40 to 50 individuals across a week. And so those are the unique challenges that you're trying to solve when you're an individual and they all have their own quote unquote solution. Some of those solutions you can solve with money by hiring staff. Uh, with hiring staff, if you're, I guess I'm smiling because I'm about to, if you're, <laughs> if you're like me, if you're like me and you have a problem with delegation because you like things done in a certain way, there are standards yep. that I feel are necessary to execute to. And if they're not done to that standard, then it's um, it becomes just as much work on my side to upskill those around me, which is a responsibility that comes with hiring others. Yeah, going back on my point, there are problems you can solve with money, problems you can solve with uh, applying or reallocation of time, but that would be temporary time because what makes my heart sing and the passion project that I have is helping players in my chosen sport, which is golf improve. And if, if it wasn't my chosen sport, it would still be my passion project. I think ultimately if we wind the clock back and I was doing something different, that something different would be still helping other people reach a level of life existence or performance that they have not yet aspired to. So life coach, psychologist, 
other sports coach, I could see myself doing any one of those things. One of the more common questions that we get from Altus clients and listeners is how do I spin it like a tour player? Well, the first step is to treat your equipment like a tour player, and that means that you've got the right golf ball and you've got fresh grooves. Visit Vokey.com to see the spin research that Bob Vokey and his team have conducted to better understand how grooves wear over time. After 75 to 100 rounds of golf, you owe it to yourself to test your grooves to make sure that they're still getting maximum spin from your wedges. Find a fitter at Vokey.com for a spin test soon. We've had this conversation many times with a lot of different coaches, right? You start off like I did and you, where you're coaching independently, you're managing your own lesson book, like your schedule, you're managing all the coaching and training and the communication, all of that. And then eventually there comes a time where you think, well, maybe I should expand and bring on some other people to help me field all of this interest that I maybe can't even handle. And there's also maybe a, a level of of training goals that you can't quite hit be just because the athlete is remote or you know lives a certain distance away to where you can't see them all the time, but you want them in the fold. So I guess what what was the tipping point for you, if you can remember, because you've been at this a while though, but I, I seem to recall there was you, then there was collaboration, and then there was a brand, right? Maybe you can walk us through the tipping point when you went from you, like, mm-hmm. ah, I, this is enough. I got to collaborate. And there's a there's a mental shift there for a lot of people where they're not open to collaborating, right? Because they're afraid they're going to lose their their clients or their athletes. So maybe talk us through that tipping point, and then the other tipping point when you went from just collaborating to actually building right. and putting a brand around it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that the expression "people and events influence or shape our path" couldn't be closer to the truth in this sense. And I'd like to get your perspective as it relates to how you shifted from coach into developing the form Regify and now coach now. Uh, But to tell my story, it would be a story of success at a junior youth level in helping the players that were local to me. So within a five to, to max 10 mile radius of the club that I was at, which was Brook Hollow, and that led to opportunity, opportunity to help the better players that were playing the local golf tournaments, the regional golf tournaments, and then ultimately the national events, they had success. And then you start to get more inbounds, inbound phone convo, uh, phone calls, inquiries, inbound email inquiries. That turns into a workload that you can't possibly satisfy unless you are a person that's more inclined to say, I just want to teach an hour lesson. And for that then to be the existence, the relationship that terminates that session. Well, that's not me. Yeah. My, my philosophy is extending influence. That, that philosophy is that you have 168 hours in the week, you might be able to spend in the golf arena one to two hours unless you have some sort of team training programs, which we can uh, discuss at whatever length yeah. you want at a future point. But nonetheless, the more common model in, in golf coaching is you pay for your hour, it begins at the start of that hour, it ends at the end of that. Well, for me, it was I had so many inbounds, I couldn't extend my influence beyond face-to-face contact with all of those individuals. And so then I have a peer group here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that we would always talk shop. We would always kick tires on ideas in technique, ideas in business, ideas in coaching. That lends itself to, okay, I've got this excess capacity. Is this something that you want to partake in? If so, here are the things that we can agree on that are the foundation or the framework for the scaffold, if you will, of a coaching philosophy. That That began with Andrew Lewis in collaboration. Landry yep. Lewis is now part of the brand Altus. That also yep. extended to Corey Lundberg, who was an associate, a colleague, 
quite some distance away, 300 miles away down in Houston. But we'd, oh, that's right. but we'd have these emails and we'd have these conversations. And then when we get together at educational events, PGA show or any other industry event, uh, invariably the conversation would come back to, here's what I'm doing, here are the problems that I have, and here's how I'm solving them. And there was always such a common ground that we'd be standing on and a desire to grow something that was greater than any individual could possibly hope to, to achieve. And then that turned into, in early 2016, us starting Alts Performance as a brand, as a standalone business. And we were given opportunity at Trinity Forest and All American to do that. So we had opportunity in the right partners, opportunity in like-minded colleagues, and a desire to take a risk. So that's kind of the evolution of my enterprise, if you will. But let's bounce it right back at you because I'm extremely interested because you come from the same background of coaching. Uh, People and events influence your path. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, mine wasn't born as much out of like nice organic moments of of some we'll see and i know yours wasn't as simple as this but as you're describing it there's positive evolution to your business right uh-huh. sure so there's yourself collaboration and then oh yeah we you know we're doing really well let's let's wrap a brand around this mine because i'm no longer in the world of golf that could have been my story but mine was very different than that in the sense that going from just pure coaching into the technology of supporting coaches and instructors and teachers was born more out of the frustration of not being able to provide this environment of learning that I that I wanted to. And so when I read the book, The Talent Code, and then also looked at my experience in the academy world at these high performance academies, individualized coaching, director of instruction type roles, when I looked at my life and looked at the talent code, I fully recognized that I wasn't able to create the optimum learning or skill development uh, environment outside of just the time I had with these athletes, because they're only with me for a short short amount of time, like you're describing. So how do we create this environment that can go beyond that in-person time? And I tried to do that, similar to when I met you, right? We're using all sorts of different technologies to piece together essentially the notes and drills and exercises we want our athletes to do, but it was a real big challenge. So having that extreme frustration was a fortunate place for me to be because I was so upset that it drove me to do something about it. But for the serendipity kind of part of it, as you were saying, like the people and the environment influence you. Luckily, I coached golf. So the people that were feeling this pain with me had money, money enough to say, if you've got an idea, I'd like to give it to you. I'd like to invest in it. And I had two really smart friends that I've known since I was in third grade that happened to be very, very expert in their particular fields within the world of technology, one being in the sales side and the business development side in the early days of cloud computing, and the other one in the architecture, the CTO role, the business development role as well, but more of like the actual structure of how to build a business, all the legal stuff, all the spreadsheets that are never fun. So I had this this moment in time where their frustration with that was at its peak. I had relevant experience from all of my previous coaching endeavors. I I accelerated my coaching experience. I was only 25 and had already been director of instruction and worked uh, for a big academy. You know, I'd kind of done a lot of things already and then had students that were had some extra money and really smart friends. And we stir all that around. And eventually, you know, many years later, you've got what you've got now. But the journey was a challenging one. Yeah. Yeah. And and, in unpacking or pulling on that thread of challenge. Uh, when I use the word, uh, or when you hear the word risk as it relates to going out on your own, what sure. comes to mind? 
Well, so it's interesting. My fiance is a psychologist with the Veterans Hospital. And so she's a brilliant, brilliant woman, has a PhD. She considers herself to be risk averse. On the personal note, she's not because she's uh, with a guy like me who has a, a child from a previous relationship. And there's all sorts of things tied into that. So she's, it's complicated. She's a good judge of character is what she is. Yeah, I think maybe. Yeah, thank you. I think maybe she's that. And then but she she describes her life as very planned out. Right. She stayed in school all the way until she was 30. Right. She was good at school. She stayed in it. I went to some college uh, and then left. It wasn't for me. And I missed most of my high school. Like I just didn't go. I got good grades but I just didn't go. And the reason I share these kind of insights is because my my parents were business owners. They're entrepreneurs. They uh, built restaurants. They know what it's like to put everything on the line and work 90 hours a week to build something, grind at it for three or four years, five years, six years, whatever it takes, knowing that the end result will spit off something that could be passive, more leveraged income. So it was very difficult for me in the world of golf to look at exchanging time for money exclusively. It was very difficult to think forever. I'm going to just stand on the driving range and exchange my time for this hundred dollars or $200, but I'm going to have to show up again tomorrow to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if I get hurt, I'm out of luck. If, you know, uh, weather happens, right. Inclement weather golf is an outdoor sport most of the time. So you can't get that training in. I had also kind of uh, dabbled in selling insurance and meeting people that were making over a million dollars a month, whether they showed up or not. So having that relevant relative kind of environment to shape my view on how someone can make money really put it into a spot where eventually I was unhirable. Like I just, I, I couldn't work for somebody if it wasn't leveraged. Yeah. So the risk for me was greater to continue to do what I was doing, which was exchanging time for money and not building anything that had leverage to it. But at the same time, you put everything on the line, right? You put all your money in, all your time. I had a son during that time. So that was a very risky maneuver to keep going. It could have been easy just to say, no, I'm going to stop and start coaching. But I think once you have that kind of entrepreneurial mindset, kind of like bird into your brain, it's kind of impossible not to chase it regardless of the risk. I, I think you showed much greater bravery and bravado than I did. I would categorize myself as risk averse, very similar to your, to your fiance. In fact, on many occasions as opportunity to move from an individual to collaboration to brand, there were many occasions through the, let's say, 13 to 14 years of developing over that career arc where I was given opportunity and presented a chance to go out on my own. And what I found myself always reflecting back on was, well, if I do Y when I'm currently doing X, here are the things that I lose by doing X. A, a very narrow, siloed, very channeled way to look at things. And right. Until through my reading, I came across a couple of quotes and had some mentors certainly guide me further in this direction. Those two quotes were one from a billionaire investor, Warren Buffett, taking jobs to build up your resume is like saving up sex for old age, just not a very good idea. And, and, the, <laughs> sure, and, yeah. and the second wisdom comes from centuries ago, two mistakes one can make along the journey to mastery. One is not going all the way and the other is not starting. And then yeah. with, with the mentorship of business experts that I was fortunate, extremely fortunate, going back to the first comment of people on events, shape your path to be witness to, to be around, have in my presence, who 
said that these chances will not continue to come. It compelled me to shift away from my default trait of being risk averse into a state of operation that said these things need to happen. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because I, I can see that in you, right? In the sense that I've known you now, I think about five years or so, maybe four or five years, and I've been a fan of yours from kind of afar, just kind of watching what's happening, right? And seeing you go again from that path of, I think risk averse is a good way to look at it, right? Individual coach, the collaboration, and then the brand. But on the other side, there's been this huge leap towards content creation, Mm -hmm. which is not how I knew you, right? I, I didn't know you as someone in front of the camera. You were very much behind the scenes. And in the golf community, you were very well-known, well-respected, revered for everything you've done, but you weren't necessarily out there in the grand scheme of things compared to, let's say, Ledbetter and McLean and these other people, but now you definitely are. So maybe maybe talk through that, because I'm sure that wasn't... I don't know that as your natural state, mm-hmm. um, so I'm sure there was some some challenging moments for you to kind of get out of your comfort zone and, and push through that. Yeah, you certainly used the right phrase there, natural state, and your fiancé would be able to elaborate far more on the difference between trait and state in terms of uh, how we are as people. Uh, But certainly as a default trait, I am attention averse as well. I have, and have mentioned this on many occasions in the recent years, I'd I'd much prefer a relationship with anonymity than public exposure. To be forward-facing is not a choice I make but forward-facing provides an opportunity and a risk and with it some certain benefits that I think are as plain as the nose in my face, but certain challenges that come with that being or with being forward-facing. So I guess the evolution of my acceptance and comfortability in front of a camera, in front of an audience starts with opportunities in your own peer group to present your ideas. Oh, that's true. So going back to the very first time I presented it in my professional section to my 120 colleagues that showed up to hear me present on coaching concepts here in North Texas. And then that turned into an opportunity with a PGA professional group and then nationally and then internationally uh, that turns into opportunities as you're doing interviews on Golf Channel Morning Drive to do some instruction content with them. That instruction content, I think it was back in June of 2016 on National PGA Professional Coaching Day or Teaching and Coaching Day, uh, National TV Live, and I did a good job. And they said, okay, would you be interested in doing some more of this? And every time I step in front of an audience or in front of a camera, whether it's filming an iPhone video to post on Instagram or whether it's stepping in front of a crew of 25 people to film a show for a golf channel, I have fear, I have trepidation, I have there's a part of me that goes to imposter syndrome, if you will. Oh, but, yeah. but yet at the same time, you contrast that against the post-event experience. So pre-performance is fear and trepidation, a sense of being unsure. The post-performance yeah. is this amazing sense of euphoric, high dopamine levels of spiked, and I just love doing it. And, 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 and so there wasn't this balance. In fact, there was an imbalance. There was a massive amount of positivity that allowed me to net away the negativity or the, yeah, it's not negativity, but the trepidation that I would face in going into those things. And I think that's true for everyone. If we can get past the initial concern that someone may have a perspective that they don't believe you or you didn't do a good job, and likely it's only because 
you're not good at it up front, whether that's presenting in front of people or whether that's speaking in, in front of a camera or that's conveying ideas in front of an audience, a live audience as a, a in a clinic session, then you can break through to the other side and have that experience. And so through that, I developed this desire and a want to do more. But again, the want to do more wasn't because I was in any way addicted to the physiological rush that I was receiving at the end. It's because I realized the platform enabled a multi-channel attack. It wasn't just the ground attack of me standing in front of Jordan Spieth and saying, hey, this is what we need to do in your golf game. This is how you need to improve. It wasn't the ground attack of standing in front of a 25 handicap client who just wants to play better next weekend. It was the ground attack. It was the sea attack. And it was the air attack of TV, of magazine and social media. And so when you can expand your reach, when you can get more eyeballs on a message that you feel is important, it means that you can help a much, a, a vastly, a, a much bigger audience. A lot of us that would listen to you here could imagine how cool it would be right behind the scenes, be, you know, filming this big production and all of that. But there's a lot of a lot of work that goes into that ahead of time, as you've described, as far as you building up your skill set to be at a level to where that would even be an offer for you. But let's dive into that in just a moment. Let, let's talk about the the impact, though, of this, right? So, again, this is relatively new out of the scope of your entire career, this media-centric approach of sorts. So what opportunities has that produced for you as, a, as an entire business unit? aside from the the obvious, the, the actual media, the creation of the shows, but let's talk about like the incoming traffic, right? What kind of impact that's had from lead generation to getting in front of people, remote coaching, you know, what has it done for you guys and, and the core of your business? The inbounds are tremendous. The reach, uh, not only domestically, but very much worldwide. So if we just explore different channels, the podcast, Earn Your Edge, that we've been producing since June of last year, we're 35 episodes in. It is not out of the ordinary for when I go to an event, whether that event is in Switzerland in the middle of summer last year, France in the middle of summer this year, the Open Championship back in Australia, or I'm traveling to a golf event through Asia. The, the reach, again, going back on my point, it's not uncommon for 10, 15, 20 people at that event viewers, recreational players that are out there watching the golf tournament to come up and say, hey, love what you're doing on the podcast. Nice. The, the, yeah. the inbounds that come through the social channels, whether it's the social channel that we're most vocal or distributing on, publishing on, which would be Instagram or it's the social channel uh, of uh, of YouTube and Twitter, the inbounds are coming domestically and, and worldwide. Uh, those inbounds are what are the options to yeah, experience the coaching of not just one individual either, because on these platforms, it's about more than just one individual. It's about more than me, which is the whole genesis of Altus as an organization. It doesn't exist because of one person. It exists because of a coaching collective and an ideology or an ethos, a way of doing things that's codified and centered around the athlete being first and things that aggregate towards that athlete improving. It's not swing instruction. It's coaching people to get better just in a given domain. That domain is golf. So... Instagram means there is, there's inbounds coming worldwide and that builds business in France, that builds business here domestically in America, but it also builds business that isn't reliant on 
uh, the face-to-face interactions through right. the medium. And the most important, in fact, the, the irreplaceable medium of Coach Now. Without Coach Now, what we couldn't deliver is we couldn't deliver the excellence in programming that we're able to deliver to someone that might live in the UK or someone might live in Canada or someone that lives more than a realistic distance to be able to travel. So uh, adjacent states, we get clients coming in. But outside of that, clients come in very uh, infrequently. And most of our roles and responsibilities are then uh, delivered through the medium of uh, the World Wide Web and through the application of Coach Now. That's awesome. And 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 on that subject, actually, because we I did a mastermind not too long ago, which is something that I think we're going to be doing more of where I'm going to be gathering different, you know, four or five, six coaches on a, on a remote call and talking about business. And uh, we did one not too long ago and it went really well. But a common question was this remote coaching. And it's fairly obvious to me and obvious and definitely obvious to you that you can deliver the coaching via coach now. Right. There's the the relationship side. But let's maybe talk about the precursor to that, right? The interest, the sale, the um, structure of the programming. If you could give insight into kind of the business aspect of it, mm-hmm. I think that would be really helpful for for those that are very interested in this remote coaching. And and, and it's different, right, than remote lessons or remote swing analysis, right? For Which sure. I'm not a fan of at all. And we, yeah. we talked about why, exchanging time for money. Right. But let, let's get into more of these remote programming and how you build it and structure it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you made that distinction between remote instruction and remote coaching because I have a long time advocated against uh, online instruction because it exists in a silo and it's a very yeah. um, single factor way to try and improve. Now, does swing instruction improve skill? Yes, it does. Is it the largest factor that improves skill? No, not necessarily. What I would tell you is that online coaching begins with a value offering. And that value offering is that we check multiple boxes. The outlook that we have is that your development as an athlete is multifactorial. It's the swing instruction that's most definitely necessary, but it's also an understanding of your skills and capabilities and your goals and interests. So just as an in-person coaching session would involve an interview process, all of our remote coaching involves an interview process. What's the current standard of performance informed quantitatively as well as qualitatively? So we're looking for metrics that reinforce or tell a story of a player's performance or as to a player's performance. And then from there, we're running diagnostics as if we're in place. And those diagnostics are, can you get in front of a launch monitor? What can you tell me from your on-course performance that uh, creates a gap between what your intent is and what your outcomes are? And how can we, through conversations and through training practices where a person's administered a very mm, task-based specified training program they're designed to go out and execute and provide us ongoing and very regular feedback, a stream that's uh, two-way and dynamic as they're in practice. So maybe I could paint a picture. Yeah. T- today, I've already received a message from a collegiate player who's off in the Northeast. I'm down here in Dallas, and she's going out to practice, and she knows what she needs to do. But she's saying, the challenge I had yesterday is X. How can we solve for X going into today's practice so X is no longer a problem? The former model or the model that falls short of being sufficient without remote coaching is she may send me a text message or we may schedule a phone conversation, but that falls well short of being sufficient when she needs that problem solved now because she's getting ready for qualifying and getting ready for her first event. So 
we're tuning in to multiple streams of information rather than just two-dimensional video sent back and forth to try to shift a person's performance north. We're providing a training program that's tasks-based, that's skills-based, that they can go out and execute without supervision because the tasks themselves tell the player when they're achieving the standard, when their performance in practice is done, such that they can feel comfortable that they can get better on their own. And if they're not getting better on their own, we have this ongoing stream of communication going back and forth that closes that gap in a very time efficient manner. Now, clearly on the other side of this, there's still uh, the time value of money. Right. Right. So there are three pricing structures that we've found effective. The first pricing structure is a relatively low contact, but also price friction, low threshold of just under a hundred dollars. And that entitles a limited range of communication, possibly for the athlete that's, that's either got a handle on what they want to achieve or what they're currently doing. They just want to bounce ideas off. Uh, they feel like they don't need too much navigation all the way up to the highest price point, which is just now over $400 where we're taking a very active role and the contacts are as frequent as they need to be. There's no limit on contacts. And essentially, we're trying to navigate as if we're in person with that player. But without the ability to communicate as we're doing right now from many, many miles away, it just wouldn't be successful. Not at all. And I'm curious, as a part of that upward uh, tier, the $400 plus tier, right? And that's, that's, that's a per month pricing. Per month pricing, yep. And some people have asked, and I'm curious your thoughts on this and how you would maybe adjust your pricing to reflect this. Let's say it's $400 a month for purely remote. If they were to come one hour per month and the rest of it, like see you in, in person for one or two hours per month for one session, let's say, just to describe it a little easier. And then the rest of the time we're remote. How would you go about maybe baking in that in-person time with the monthly charge? And I'm just kind of curious if that question even makes sense at this point, but... Does that, does that kind of make sense, what I'm trying to ask, like a, the mixture model, but it's mostly remote? I'm just kind of curious how you might structure that. Well, I, I can see certain merit, and there are situations where it's been a pay it forward uh, as long as a person's signing up for a long-term arrangement. But it, most of the time, what happens is someone comes for a session from out of town. They may or may not. In fact, more frequently, they're not aware of an ability to continue this relationship rem uh -huh. remotely, and that service offering is then provided at the close of a session. Look, here, here's what we're able to achieve today, but you have a goal orientation that's going to take a much longer time horizon. We're playing the long game here for you to get to where you want to get to. In absence of you being able to come back to Dallas or back to Old American or back to uh, just north of Paris, here's how we can extend and or elongate and continue the positive influence that your coaching is going to take. Now, there are circumstances where players just can't come in geographic and fi yeah. financial limitations. They're uh, over in their home country or home city, and we do our best to ensure, more likely at the top tier where a contact is frequent, that we can uh, continue the ball moving down the field to, to use a, a manner of speak. So let's take a quick break in the action to recognize one of our partners, Under Armour. It's Under Armour's mission to make all athletes better through passion, design, and the relentless pursuit of innovation. And that ethos or mission statement couldn't be more aligned with the Earn Your Edge podcast. We're thankful to be powered by Under Armour.
let's jump back a little bit. I, obviously, you're very well known in the world of golf for coaching these upper echelon kind of marquee players. We won't dive into the challenges of doing it because I know there's a lot that comes with it. But I'm just kind of curious for you from a from a business standpoint, right? I think it's very interesting to understand. And I, again, this is a sensitive subject, so I'm going to dance around the actual question a little bit and give you a bunch of free reign to answer it however you like. Spencer, uh, pull the mandate. Yes. Pull the mandate. Okay. Yeah. Just All rip right. it right off. Yeah. So I think what, I, what I'm always curious about and what we hear a lot about from coaches all over the world that use our platform that coach at the level that you do, they're always curious about the business model associated with it, right? When you're coaching a professional athlete, such as a golfer, there's some people that talk about percentage earnings. There's people that talk about just a flat fee. There's, I think, creative ways to structure a business relationship with these top tier players that make a heck of a lot of money and, and receive your coaching. Mm -hmm. And when you're coaching many of them and you have to go to a tour event and split your time with different athletes, very curious how you went about figuring that out and how you've made it, maybe how you've evolved it maybe over time as you've gotten uh, more experience doing it. Yeah, I smile because there's an expression that Michael Gervais uses, who's a, one of the most prominent sports psychologists in well, the world, but uh, he spends his time mostly with professional athletes, individuals, and teams in America. And he's, he's number one rule is there's no, there's a no dickhead rule, male or a female. There's just the first vetting process that he goes through is, is there a like-mindedness? Is there a parity in what a player wants and the attitude they bring to seeking and receiving advice. And if that's the first vetting level, then pretty much anything that follows thereafter will have a high level of fairness and equity to that. Now, okay. that's a kind of a political way to answer the question. I think what you're looking for is something far more specific, and I'm willing to give specifics. You mentioned a word, ways, which is plural. There are many ways yep. to structure yep. to structure an arrangement between said professional athlete, said professional team, and the compensation for uh, the value, the services, the intellect, um, the time, if you will, they run the gamut. If you canvassed, if you polled every tour level to speak of golf, because that's what we yep. speak specifically to, or tennis players or tennis coaches for that matter, which I have some experience with as well, um, yeah. there's certainly the freemium model. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which essentially means that I'll, <laughs> I'll do it for nothing. I'll pay it forward. I'm a good dude. And when you feel good about it, then you cut me a check. And I've heard many a case where Butch Harmon it, it runs it exactly that way. And you've got Pete Cowan on the other side of that who runs more of a true freemium, which essentially says that my services are free. I'm going to travel to X events with my teaching partner, Mike Walker. And I only get paid, or sorry, he and Mike only get paid as a coaching enterprise when a player finishes inside the top 10 in that event. So anything outside of top 10, wow. our services are free. We're, we're, we're betting on okay. the come, essentially. We're going to push money behind the player. And if we mm -hmm. win, we get a cut. If we don't, we don't get a cut. Then, okay. there, are, then there are the players. Uh, see, if, if you're asking me personally, I put it back on the player. I want this to be right for them because I know if it's right for them, it's at some point in time going to be right for me. I have scholarship players over time. I've had arrangements where, look, I can't pay you until I reach a certain level because yep. I need to feel satisfied that I can feed my wife, my kids, and my two dogs at home. And yep. I'm like, I get it. I'd be the same way. I, I run this business to make sure that I can put food on the table for those that I'm 
hunting and gathering, for hunting and farming, for. And then there are players at the top echelon who likely have much more of a salaried arrangement with some sort of bonus structure on the back end of a successful season. Um, so there are pay cliffs, if you will. One, the things that, as soon as we cross beyond a certain level of performance, then beyond that salary, you're likely to hit uh, some X percentage of earnings or X percentage of world ranking finishes yep. or um, scales. That's super helpful. Yeah, just to get kind of a the gamut of the freemium models, because I think we all run into that as coaches. We see a great talent. We want to be helpful with that talent and build a relationship. And sometimes uh -huh. the uh, financial component just doesn't make sense to do that. I would add also that it's almost identical. And what I just described, it's almost identical when you're dealing with tennis coaches and tennis professionals, at least as I'm told in conversations with some pretty prominent tennis coaches. There are, there are also the situations where these coaches, far less so almost non-existent in tennis, but certainly very, uh, very much so it exists in golf, where you'll be asked to perform a specific duty at only one event, whether that's a consultation sure. and recommendation. So it's a, it's a very bolt on service where it'll just be, just to be a straight uh, time for, uh, for, for money kind of uh, relationship. Yep. So let, let's maybe talk a little bit about the kind of jumping back to the, the media side of your life, right. And, and, and maybe sharing about, some of those early opportunities that were coming your way that you maybe were passing on and, and what was the the tipping point? It sounds like there was a bit of advice coming your way, right? Uh, about, hey, these opportunities aren't going to last forever. But I'm kind of I'm kind of curious what the moment was for you when you went from creating your own content, presenting at events to the, the golf channel world, right? Um, I know you, you spoke about presenting on one of their live shows, but maybe you can give us some insight to... Well, let's skip that. Let's let's get to the insight kind of behind the scenes and how what that means to you and 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 the kind of inside scoop on any of that that you could maybe share that you might think uh, coaches would find interesting. Yeah, the the media side as it relates to uh, broadcast media, so uh, that being Golf Channel, the rocket ship took off when I was given that opportunity in 2016 on the National Teaching and Coaching Day. So 2015, I was awarded PGA of America Teacher of the Year. And then that then turned into, hey, we're doing this show. Golf Channel is doing this show at a multitude of locations around the country. We're bringing together coaches. Uh, so mm -hmm. David, David Ledbetter and Hank Haney and Susie Whaley and the list goes on. They might have had 25 or 30 coaches. They had a host uh, in studio, actually two hosts in studio that would act as kind of uh, the traffic cops driving to different locations. And given the time zones, there were those locations that were broadcasting in the morning all the way to uh, Upper West Coast up in San Francisco, they were broadcasting later in the afternoon or in the evening. So it was essentially maybe a 12 to 15 hour show, 60 minute segments. At each location, there were three prominent instructors. So here in Dallas, it was Randy Smith, Tony Martinez, and myself. I was given this opportunity by Golf Channel, the uh, a gentleman named Kevin Schultz. And with that came a high degree of, oh shit, I'm panicked. I don't know what I'm going to present on because I was the I was the lead instructor for that show where I was tasked with putting together content that was supposed to last 20 minutes and it was supposed to be delivered. There's the scary word, live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Live is the most difficult thing that you'll ever do when you're presenting information to an audience that you can't see and, and sure. an, an audience that can vote with their thumb by turning it off pretty quickly or changing channels. Yeah. So I remember spending many times designing what I would 
or structuring, scaffolding, what I would talk about and how I would demonstrate it and practicing for that presentation. I wanted to make it unique. I wanted to make it colorful. I wanted to make it exciting. And I wanted to be clear and concise with the communication because I know that I needed to rehearse those things in order to not stumble over my own tongue. I, yeah. I had advanced kind of an awareness. I'm going to hit some crappy shots on live TV, but I wanted the language and the content to flow and be timed really well. And it went down really well. And from that, just a matter of days later, Kevin and uh, another gentleman from Golf Channel sent an email and said, we're interested in you doing a TV show for us. Conversations and negotiations lasted probably six or eight months. And that turned into uh, three series uh, of the skill code uh, filmed yeah. over three consecutive years. Uh, the last one will come out here in three or four months. No, no, I'm sorry. I've lost the time. It's already come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The last one of which has already come out. So, yeah, that's um, that's kind of the moment in time that that opportunity came without an opportunity to put myself out there and essentially audition for um, the biggest, biggest signal sender in golf instruction. Uh, I don't know that anyone could ever go from, hey, you look good on YouTube, you look good on Instagram, uh, yeah. to the golf channel without some other kind of force factor working in their favor. That would be that force factor being a very prominent player of which I had many at that point in time to kind of push me over the, over the edge. I'm curious because you talked about building the the scaffolding, right? The content that you're going to share. I've always known you as this very deliberate, process-oriented type of coach. That's more about the the long game, right? The 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 longer development processes, if you will. I'm wondering how complicated that it's been for you to kind of dial that all the way back to. I wouldn't call them quick tips because I still don't think that's what you're doing. But it's a different level of coaching, right? To to bottle up a moment and share that in a mass media kind of way. Mm -hmm. So I'd be, I'd love to know kind of how that's evolved. Maybe some of those early trepidations on how to take your really, really well thought out coaching practices and boil them down to entertainment of sorts, right? Something that would be engaging sure. and also help people uh, improve. That evolution is nothing more than trial and error. It's nothing more than saying, okay, if, if the long game can be, uh, imagined as the entire course of a movie from minute zero to minute uh, 120, then a coaching uh, video that might be produced and released on Golf Channel or a, sh a show, which would be 18 minutes of pure content if it's a 30-minute show, uh, or an Instagram video that's not going to last more than uh, a minute unless yep. it's an IGTV, uh, is a glimpse a small scene in that movie that's still supposed to provide uh, some level of value and some level of emotive kind of driving to compel a person to watch it. Recently, I had listened to a podcast, the James Altisher show, a gentleman named Tim Staples, who's an author of a, a book called Breakthrough the Noise. Mm -hmm. And, and he's, he's essentially a, a consultant to brands, help them uh, as the book would suggest, break through the noise to create viral content. And his value equation, his equation for effective viral content, whether that content lasts five minutes or 60 minutes or is very, very, very uh, short form, is V plus E multiplied by T2, which is value plus emotion multiplied by timing and technology. 
And his argument is if you don't have value and emotion right, you have zero. And particularly when you're dealing with the value you're trying to convey on short form video, Instagram, IGTV, Twitter, Snapchat, and the list goes on. Um, yep. TikTok, it may be if that's what you're into is the first seven seconds are absolutely critical. If you think of any 15-year-old or 16-year-old, if that's your target market or target audience, the speed that they pan through their feed on any one of those mediums is mind-boggling. Yeah. Actually, uh, might induce some, some level of vertigo. And so yeah. if, you, if you don't get them quick, if you don't drop in, if you don't parachute in on them very quickly then uh, those things are almost lost in the, in the ether, in the, in the World Wide Web and get seen by far fewer people. Now, we haven't been overly, well, we've been very successful, but I wouldn't necessarily say we've executed on virality, but we are certainly executing with effectiveness of massive message in achieving the desired target audience, which is an audience, as I mentioned up front, it's those at or aspiring to a greater level of performance with the time and disposition towards consumption and application of the information, be it in person or on Instagram or YouTube. Yeah. And let, let's talk about the team behind that, right? Because I know for me, for you, if it was just up to us to produce the content, it's pretty difficult on top of all the other, not only produce, but to publish, I think is another uh, hurdle that we all face. So let, let's talk about the team behind you that you've put together to expand on. You've got your, I wouldn't say solely personal with the Golf Channel, but let's just talk about Altus and the things that you guys are creating in-house maybe talk about the team behind that and how you went about creating that team and how you're fostering that team moving forward. Yeah. So the golf channel side is very easy as you can imagine. Yeah, you just show up. You exactly. <laughs> show up when you've got a crew of 25 with yeah. a range of different cameras, high speed. And yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous to see the production that goes in. Well, it's ridiculous when you think of it like, this is all for me. Nah, <laughs> should yeah. be. Yeah. D don't go this far. We just pull out the iPhone video and <laughs> li light me with the sun. It should be good enough. But nonetheless, on the other side of that is what we produce internally. It all began with a super valuable conversation that you, I, and Corey, and uh, one of your right. business associates had at the PGA show uh, when you brought up an um, example of Gary V and the crew that he has around him. Uh, producing um, multiple, let's say, pieces of content from a singular, let's say, recording uh, or a singular yep. piece of uh, content. And the recommendation that you gave is you guys should think strongly about hiring someone to lead the digital initiatives, uh, thinking of that as a battle plan. And so we did. Corey took the initiative and sent out some proposals, some requests for interest, uh, job posting on the appropriate sites. I'm not too sure which ones he used, but he can certainly, if we need that information, I can certainly get that. And then it, it began with who's local and uh, who has good work and who understands what we're trying to do with no desire or need for them to be specialists in golf, just specialists in, in creating really effective content. And we found uh, three people that we were super interested in uh, the first person we interviewed was the winner. In fact, after the first okay. person, we felt like we didn't need to go any further than that. And that person was doing it as a hobby, uh, as a part-time hobby, uh, while they were also working their, what we'll, we'll, we'll term their desired career pathway, their side gig, their side hustle, as Gary yeah. Z would put it, was video, yeah. video creation. It was something they wanted to get good at, and they've gotten so good at it. Uh, working for us one day a week in uh, in production, so filming and then post-production, uh, probably another four or five, six hours a week. So no more than two days a week. Uh, we hired them to come and produce 
uh, the videos for us. Now it's incumbent upon us to when a session is scheduled uh, to make ready. And yeah. the filming is done within a live lesson session with the permission of the people that we're coaching on that particular day or the group that we're coaching on that particular day. Uh, so with that permission, we're running film throughout the entire thing. And clearly from that, we can cut it up. We can chop it up into a variety of different positioned and appropriate messages for whatever message we're trying to convey, whether that's a technique or a skill or a motivation or a uh, a piece of mindset that's pretty important for our uh, chosen demographic. Yeah, and I, I got to say, I mean, I've been super, super impressed uh, with what you guys have, have put together. And I think it's, I think it has cut through the noise, in my opinion. I think it's unique in what you guys are putting together. It's not standing in front of a tripod talking about the grip. I mean, there are components of that, but it's it's a little bit more... And there are use cases for that too. <laughs> yeah, there's use cases for it, but it's just, it's lively, it's enjoyable. I think the the graphics that you guys are using is are great. And I, I wanted to really touch on that because I think with today's technology, you don't... I mean, it's great if you have a videographer. Yes, try to do it. Try to get somebody that's really good. But you do have the opportunity as a coach to use your phone, use these other technologies to create content that speaks to your brand. I think a great example of that uh, I don't know him personally, but we all know him if you're in the world of golf would be George Gankis. And I know you've spent some time with him. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about your time with George, if that rubbed off on you in any way, because I think the thing that I admire most about George is at least he seems to be himself in every opportunity. He's, he doesn't have as much of a stage persona as I would maybe think some of us do in the mm -hmm. world of golf, where we're all buttoned up and trying to be perfect on camera. Uh, so I'm kind of curious with your time with him, if anything rubbed off, because I know you've spent some time with him at some uh, clinics and coaching and environments. Yeah, we'll get to George Gankus here in just a few seconds, but I wanted sure. to go back and, and just bolt on to the point you made. I agree wholeheartedly. You don't need to hire a videographer. It doesn't need to look super buttoned up and polished. It can be an iPhone and probably 50% of what we post on our social channels, or particularly Instagram, is just instructor X or instructor Y doing something on their yeah. iPhone. We, al we also, when we have a more well-refined message that we want to uh, get out there to the greater population, we will put that together in, in somewhat of a more structured, polished and clean form. So definitely. And JR for us does a, a bang up job, an amazing job. He's uh, he's He's done such an amazing job of on the job learning, which is also another point to make is that if you are looking to hire someone out there, academy individual, otherwise, then look for someone that's looking to learn, looking, looking for someone that's going to sure. do the things that help them upskill over time. Now onto, onto George. My first interaction with George was at coach camp, which is a educational session put on by Andrew Rice every December. I was asked to present there as was George. And it was first George's first, uh, first ever, uh, peer slash public presentation probably since he was in high school. Yeah. And oh, just serendipitously, ironically, both land at the airport, clearly from different destinations on different planes at the same time. And we're waiting in line for Uber. And uh, he looks at me, I look at him and, and we shake hands, clearly recognizing each other. And he says, come on, share my Uber. So he has someone traveling with him. I have Corey traveling with me. And, uh, the first offering was George, uh, saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to pitch in or something. I'm going to pay for your Uber to get to the destination. But yeah, George, super authentic person. What you see is what you get. I mean, it couldn't be, uh, more truthful to say it that way. And the knowledge base and content that he delivers on, he has great command of it. If you haven't heard him on our podcast, it's probably 
good hour, hour and 20 minutes of George, George Gankus being George, George Gankus, which is uh, entertainer, not because he's trying to entertain, entertainer because that's who he is, and golf coach trying to help with a very, very deep knowledge base. Uh, he goes deep, but at the same time, as all good coaches go, he goes very wide as well. So he's uh, knowledge, one would call him, or I would call him an interdisciplinarian or a multidisciplinarian, and it doesn't come across nearly well enough on the social channels. His social channels, for the most part, are golf swings with yeah. some interaction, but very little explanation. Now, power to him, that's certainly probably reserved for his subscription-based model offering. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so then the Instagram videos that he posts are, one could categorize them as lead magnets, which is certainly an effective yep. strategy. It's worked well for him. But yes, the point I'm trying to make probably a little lengthy is that on service, some may think that it's a show and I can assuredly tell you it's not a show and there is great depth and also width behind who he is and what he does. And if you ever meet him in person, you get that in the first two or three minutes. And if you subscribe to his online channel, I'm sure you get that as well. Although I can't, can't for certain <laughs> know that because I'm not a subscriber, Right. but yes. Right. And I, and I appreciate you speaking to that because I think this goes on to something that I think is important for us to touch on. And maybe this will be kind of how we round it out because I know we're running short on time would be, there's some people that say, discover your niche. I read recently, and I think this is a better way to do it, like build or develop your niche, I think is maybe a better way to look at it because you do have to separate yourself from the noise, right? We talked about your content separating itself from the noise, which I think is great. But before you do that, you got to figure out who the heck you are. And sometimes that's going to evolve. The more more things you put out there, the more you're just going to not land on it, but you're going to you're going to develop this niche of yours. So I, I'd love to know your advice, like how how you discovered what you're really passionate about, because there's a lot of different areas to attack in golf and different styles in which to do it. And then I'd love to hear your advice for others that are looking to separate themselves and, and maybe how could they go about uh, developing that? How I did it is the advice that I would provide is the lived example for you and most anyone else. It's uh, scratching your own itch. What is it that interests you? And it's solving the problems that you have in front of you. Unless you know a problem, unless you have a problem in front of you, you can't possibly solve it. So I was given opportunity to solve problems for players. I was scratching my, my own uh, itch in that I was involved in golf. I realized that golf coaching made my heart sing. It gave me, uh, it filled me with joy. And so I continue to do that. And as I continue to do that, I quote unquote solve problems. The first problem that I was one to encounter was effectiveness. I wasn't effective in my first two years of coaching, which led me okay. to go down this educational odyssey that involved and still continues to this day many facets. One was um, sitting at the foot of masters, Butch Harmon, uh, Hank Haney, Randy Smith, and the list goes on. Great coaches in the world of golf. The next was exploring and investigating outside the boundaries of what would regularly be found in golf to go wide and to go as deep as I possibly could. If the audience are readers, go out there and buy yourself range by David Epstein. I hope to have him very soon on the mm. on the Earn Your Edge podcast to discuss at great depth his um, categorization of golf as a very friendly environment and one that is mm, agreeable to levels of practice and levels of 
early specialization uh, that I think, yeah, we'll, we'll leave that for another time. Maybe okay. uh, explore that at depth on the actual podcast. But nonetheless, the point that I'm trying to make is I went wide and deep inside of obvious areas that pertain to golf performance and inside of um, areas that one wouldn't think pertain to golf performance. But it's an uh, evolution of time as well. A mastery is, a, is not a destination, but a journey. And I never look to be done or finished. I'm always trying to take that step forward on every day in every possible way. Yeah, I, I think the greatest coaches, right, are the those that have a a lifelong learning mindset, a growth mindset, as you're describing. And we hear that time and time again. I, I would say that's that's not unique. Obviously, it's it's a very consistent thing that I hear. So I think with that, the last thing I would ask of you, Cam, would be: Is there anything that maybe you haven't shared that you think, from a business perspective, coaches, teachers, trainers would benefit from hearing, given uh, your many years of experience and now your many, many areas and many channels that you operate in. I think uh, anything else you may maybe want to share? Hmm. In a saturated market, you have to stand out and figure out how you're going to stand out, figure out your unique selling proposition, figure out what differentiators. And sure enough, when you differentiate and you find an audience, as George has definitely done, as we have des definitely done, you'll find an audience that your message resonates with and continue to culture and water those seeds because they'll grow to something special. Awesome. Great advice, man. Thanks so much for joining Cam and uh, we'll catch up soon, I guess. Thanks, Spencer. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Team Altus and Instagram at Altus Performance. Also, thanks to Cordy Walker for his wonderful production work on this and coming episodes of Earn Your Edge. Oh, oh, oh.